I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison. And this is Podcast Without an Audience. We're two friends, pick two topics, and find intersections. And welcome to our once a month cult episode. Uh, where the only intersection we have to find is none because the cults and cult films start with a C. That's right. And ordinarily, I cover the cult and Carrie Ann covers the cult classic piece of media. But today, we got to switch a Rooney. We do. I am covering the cult. And I'm you're so excited for you. Cult movie. And also, we have a second link up because my cult name starts with an R, and so does our cult film. Oh, I love that for so us. So, we got season R's. Well, let's dive right into it. Tell us about Perfect. the cult this week, this month. So, fortunately, we both know what the cult film is because... We picked it together. Yeah, we did. Was it a Patreon pick? No. No. It was an Allison and Carrie Ann pick. Which is a great pick because we've bonded over this movie many, many years ago, mm-hmm. which you will hear more about soon. Um, so our cult movie is Rocky Horror Picture Show. In keeping with our alien and UFO theme from mm-hmm. Rocky Horror, our cult today um, is covering the world's largest space alien cult slash religion of realism realism coming at you according to recent data there are more than 130,000 members in this cult over 80 countries most popular countries being in europe quebec canada and japan wow yeah it's fascinating we are going to do a quick and deep dive into realism quick and deep that's how we like it <laughs> title of your sex tape <laughs> Realism was founded in the 1970s by Claude Villon. Villon? He is French. As fuck. I bet he French kisses like a motherfucker. <laughs> his, na- his name is now Rael. R-A-E-L. Okay. Um, and let me tell you a little bit about our guy Claude. Claude was born September 30th of 1946, making him a Libra. He's also an only child. I feel like we have to give these disclaimers yeah. whenever we start talking about people now. He was born in Allier, France, and was raised by his maternal grandmother and mother, who were atheists, and his father, who was Jewish. He attended a Catholic boarding school until he caused a scandal. Uh-oh. And was kicked out because he took part in communion without being baptized. Oh, my God. The balls on that one. The scandal. At 15, um, so once he was kicked out of the Catholic boarding school, he was put in, like, a secular boarding school, and at 15, he ran away. Okay. This is where his story starts to get interesting. So, he runs away from boarding school and ends up in Paris. Paris. Oui, oui. Oui, oui. He is in Paris. Um, Claude spends a few years in Paris playing music on the streets and cafes and cabarets before he meets this dude who's like randomly scouting young talent and is like you know what let's make you a teen pop star wow that's the fucking dream right there isn't this the weirdest shit so far yeah oh yeah yeah so this is but i can see the cult (laughs) the the cult brewing i'm sorry was it the only only child thing that did it for you no 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 it's it's the attention at a young age being like you there you're it you there yeah you're a pop star now so, Claude changed his name to Claude Cellier 
um, and signed a record deal and then released six singles, including one major hint or one major hit called Le Miel et le Canel, which means honey and cinnamon. Which means you're sailing on the canal. <laughs> Correct. Uh, he was then a teen pop star until the dude who found him died by suicide in 1970. Mm. So he was a teen pop star. Let's see. I didn't do the math here. Um, he was born in 46. He ran away at 15. That would put him at 61. Uh, ended up in Paris. So for, you know, almost 10 years was a pop star. That's great for him. Cool. Claude had been saving up his money to buy a race car. Because <laughs> what? what pop star doesn't want to become a race car driver? Uh, okay. I feel like he can't be, like, too much of a pop star if he has to save his money. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I also feel like a child wrote this story. Mm-hmm. Like, his life is just... Yeah, he wanted Cuckoo a race bananas. car. Like, he wanted a race car. So, um, but the music career clearly didn't pan out for him and kind of came to a halt. So then he had to figure something else out. So what does he do? He decides to become a journalist. Oh, like yeah. you do. Yeah. I swear, getting a job must have been so fucking easy in the 70s. I like, cannot Like, teen relate. pop star to journalist. They're like... That's do, logical. You know, because you want to buy a race car, obviously. Sure. They're like, what qualifications do you have? Well, I read... Uh-huh. I was once on TV. They're, yeah. And they're like, you're in. Yeah. Um, especially if you were like a white man in the 70s. I feel like that's the key here is being a white man. I don't know what the generation, the Wolf of Wall Street generation, was it the 80s? I think so, yeah. Because he comes in, he's like, I'm going to sell you these penny stocks. Mm-hmm. I've got mm-hmm. this great deal for you. And they're like, you know, that's what. They're like, cool. Cool, you're in. <laughs> So over the course of about a year, he ends up starting his own publishing house and creates a sports car magazine called Autopop. The first issue was released in 1971. So at this point, life is going really well for Claude. We're proud of him. Then the real shit begins. On December 13th, 1971, Claude is visited by aliens. Oh, Dwayne Barry. We all knew this was coming. Let's be real. So he was in a secluded area within a French volcanic crater, as one is. Sure. And an extraterrestrial being came and floated down from a craft and told him in French that they had come to meet him. Claude says that he was given a message by this alien, and now his life's purpose is to pass this message to the people of Earth. This is all according to his book, which I will not be saying in French because my French is no longer good. Uh, in English, the title of the book is The Book Which Tells the Truth. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is one of the three sacred texts of this religion. Okay. And should not surprise you at all. No. So Pretty what, brand so far. <laughs> so what did the aliens tell Claude? You are... The new messiah. The messiah. Yeah. Oui, oui. As is every cult leader that we've talked about, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, all life on Earth was created through DNA manipulation by the Elohim, or those who come from the sky. It's a super cool origin story, and not like a lot of the other alien origin stories that we've heard over the years, so we're going to talk a lot more about the Elohim. But the Elohim told Claude that they have sent about 40 prophets over the course of Earth's history to share information with humans, 
However, their messages were always distorted by humans because of, quote, the difference in the level of civilization between the advanced race and the Earth's primitive race. So basically, they're like, you're all fucking idiots. Oh, that translation issue that we talk about all the time? Yeah, 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 that one. So they're like, we need 40 prophets to do it. Oh, 40? 40 prophets. Okay. Yep. Well, that uh, seems reasonable compared to some other numbers that are thrown out there from other <laughs> cults. That's fair. But wait till I read off this list of prophets to you in just a minute. Oh, okay. High rollers? Okay. I'm <laughs> so Claude changes his name to Rael and accepts his mission of informing the world of humanity's origins for when the extraterrestrials return. So at this point, if we'll remember from the Bible, Noah was tasked with building an ark Rail was tasked with building a residential embassy. So that's his goal. Um, and to do it in neutral territory. So to do this, he had to give up his automobile ma- magazine after only 34 issues so that he could devote himself entirely to the task of fulfilling his higher purpose. Also, I'm guessing that that's about the time that he was starting to make money from this thing. Mm. So he was like, I don't need to be a journalist anymore. I can now be a prophet full time. Living the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is not the last time he spoke to the Elohim. On October 7th of 1975, about two years later, Rael was taken to another planet by the Elohim to meet some of the other famous prophets. So taken to this other planet, was served some tea, and ended up having tea with Buddha, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. Oh my goodness. Who are all also Elohim. Oh, they are. They're like Elohim human hybrids. Okay. I had no idea. I know. Um, so he talks about this in his book. Again, the French name I will not try and pronounce, but in English it's the extraterrestrials took me to their planet. So he's really not creative with these. Yeah, that's a very little <laughs> translation. Okay. Yeah, I think <clears throat> it's also the second of the sacred texts in this new gotcha. religion. The sequel. Um, it will do your heart good to know that even this prophet knows how to have fun. So in 1994, Japanese Raelians uh, rented a race car for Rael. Not only was this for fun, but they believed that it would generate publicity for his religious movement. So remember that race car he dream he had? Got his race car. He finally got his race car. Rael accepted the car so long as the funding did not come from, quote, member tithes or embassy funding. So he was like, okay, you can pay for this, but you still got to pay me the tithes and you have to pay for the embassy funding, too. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. In my mind, I was like, well, that's good. Yeah, that was my initial response. And I was like, but they're still paying for it. So he just wants three pots of money now. Right. So in the 90s, um, his racing dreams came true. Most of the funding for this came from European and Japanese members, and he raced for, I think, about six years. Um, like full-time? Part-time. Because, part-time you know, profit. Being a profit, yeah. Dancer by day, welder by night. For sure, yeah. Profit by day, race car driver by night. Okay. Um, but he raced all over the world. He retired from racing in November 2001, and as his second wife said, Rael still enjoys racing, just now in the form of video games. Oh, three for Dale. Yeah. <laughs> what is that from? Dale Earnhardt, the, na- the NASCAR driver? Uh-huh. Three for Dale. That's what they do. They hold up their fingers like oh, this. because he's number three. Got it. Like um, they do in District 12. Oh, yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> 
I love that the longer we do these, the sillier we get. We've also been drinking. There is that. <laughs> okay, so let's learn a little bit more about realism now that we know about Rail himself. Okay. So realism teaches the extraterrestrial species, known as the Elohim, created humanity using their advanced technology. It's still atheistic in that it doesn't believe in a creator, but it does believe that the Elohim have been mistaken for gods historically. So the Elohim have created 40 Elohim human hybrids that have served as prophets preparing humanity for their return. Rael himself professes to be the 40th and final prophet. Other notable prophets include Moses, Elijah, Buddha, John the Baptist, Jesus. Don't say Muhammad. Muhammad. He's, that's the whole point. He's the, the seal. He's the last one. And Joseph Smith. No. <laughs> so as soon as I read uh, Joseph Smith, I was like, this is definitely the cult that I'm doing. <laughs> Joseph fucking Smith. Okay. Yeah. All right. I guess he can come too. That's fine. Yeah. Rael says uh, that, quote, we have the privilege of being alive at, as the same time as our prophet, just like those who had the privilege of being alive at the same time as Jesus, Moses, or Buddha. So he's like, blessed are all of you to live at the same time as me. Mm. The head of Elohim, or Yahweh, um, is so... This religion, like, pulls strongly from a lot of other religious texts, even though they don't claim to be, um, like, monotheistic, because they believe that aliens are the creators. But Yahweh, like, is straight. So, what they are saying is that the Bible was interpreted wrong. Okay. And Yahweh is an Elohim, but he is not, like, the supreme Elohim. Okay. That goes against everything... That's interesting. That's an interesting concept. I thought so, too. So, apparently, the Elohim made the Garden of Eden. So, remember, we've still got some Bible here. um, In a large laboratory that was based on an artificially constructed continent. Oh. Hashtag Pangea. Cool theory, right? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, where would it be? It may no longer be there because it was artificially constructed. Noah's Ark, if we're going to continue down this rabbit hole, was a spaceship (gasps) that was destined to preserve the DNA that was used to resurrect animals through cloning. Okay. Cool. The Tower of Babel was actually a rocket that was supposed to reach the creator's planet, but fell instead. I hope the O-rings are all good. (laughs) (laughs) And the Great Flood was a byproduct of a nuclear missile explosion that Elohim sent. Checks out. All of this sound science here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, this is still technically an atheist religion. It's surprising to learn that there are, is still a form of prayer for this religion. Uh, but that this prayer, but they pray to aliens that are, of course, addressed by the Elohim. And these prayers and other religious ceremonies are called cellular transmission seminars. Mm. And are an ent- Integral, 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 integral are an important part of the cult. (laughs) Transmission ceremonies are conducted around the world today. The initiation ritual, which is how you get into the cult, right, is an acknowledgement that the person is undergoing transmission and has accepted the Elohim as their creator. 
So it's it's nothing like they don't have to like sit in the ground for three days or anything during the initial. No need to abstain from sex initiation. So they're just like just you. You have to be cellularly transmitted through prayer uh-huh. to the Elohim to let them know that you're now part of there and accept the whole concept. Correct. Yep, got it. Um, so this cult proclaims to be different than other religious and other cults in that science is a huge part of their beliefs. Um, In fact, many of the people who subscribe to these beliefs see it as an alternative to Darwin's theory of evolution and the Big Bang. Okay. So they're like, these things could not have happened. Realism and the Elohim, five sure. Five sure. Five sure. They see realism as having answers to the big questions. Makes sense. An alien race that is thousands of years ahead of us technologically. All checks out. Sure. They also claim to have figured out how to clone humans and to have successfully done it. But they don't want to share too many details because they want to protect the identity of the children. Gotcha. Yeah. So they're way, way ahead of us. Right. It's like Wakanda. Yeah. Under the radar. Yeah. In plain sight. Mm -hmm. Under the radar. There is one belief that can totes get behind. Rael believes that humanity is slowly transitioning into a society where humans will not need to work or have jobs due to technological advancement. He does not believe that the Elohim designed humans to work. He thinks Hmm. that, um, I'm sorry, Rael wrote his third book in 2001, Yes to Human Cloning is the name of the book. Okay. uh, Which supports human genetic engineering in order to avoid genetically inherited diseases and reduce the economic burden on society. They also believe that genetically modified foods is the only way to solve world hunger. I mean... So, they're kind of straddling... They're not wrong. Right, yeah. About a lot of things, they're not wrong. They're just also not right. Sure. It's kind of the vibe I've been getting. Genetically modified foods is a tough one because everybody like went after Monsanto like 10 years ago and everything. But like, you know, everybody's also eating watermelons without seeds in them from the grocery store and like not giving a shit about that. So, yeah, exactly. And I think almost all corn production is GMO at this point. Yeah. Anyways, um, there's one really big thing to love about the uh, the Raelians. Uh-huh. There's one big thing to love about the Raelians. They encourage sexual self-determination in the form of adult homosexual, bisexual, and heterosexual relationships and say says that uh, society should recognize them legally. They also preached liberalized sex education for children. Great. So we're here for all of that. Things we aren't here for. Uh-oh. Oh. Before we get to that, the Raelians also do not believe in reincarnation because they do not believe that souls can exist outside of a physical confinement or a physical body. Okay. Instead, they say that the advanced supercomputers of the Elohim are recording the memories and DNA of human beings, mm-hmm. um, which they will release during the coming resurrection, which kind of reminds me of San Junipero from Black Mirror. Did you see that episode? Not that I remember. Uh, it's one of my favorites. We'll have to watch it. Um, But they believe that people could be brought back from the dead and judgments would be based on actions in their past lives. So the idea is that you could clone people and bring them back to punish them retroactively. Oh, yikes. 
So Rael suggested um, an interest in cloning Hitler and then charging him for war trial or charging him with um, war crimes and retroactively punishing him. I don't like that. Nah. No, No, it's like the scientist that's like, let's recreate the monster. And then and then you're like, no, just stop. Just let's go ahead and stop. Let's just let sleeping dogs Mm -hmm. lie. Yeah. Yeah. There's also some interesting connections to Hitler that we're going to bring up in just a second. Okay. Realists believe that since the Hiroshima bomb in 1945, that humanity has entered the age of the apocalypse. Age of Aquarius. Feels like it a little bit, to be honest. (laughs) It kind of does. In which it threatens itself with nuclear annihilation, and we have to prepare for the return of the Elohim. They believe that this visit to Earth will happen before 2035 if we do away with war and terrorism. So not a chance. Yeah, that's not fucking happening. uh, As a religion, they are advocates of universal ethics and world peace. In fact, Raelians believe that humanity could be able to create life on other planets if only we could get our shit together and be peaceful enough to stop wars again probably not going to happen i wish it could wouldn't that be great yeah it'd be really wonderful there are a few controversies surrounding this group um the cloning thing obviously however the biggest controversy and the thing that we really dislike is that their symbol for their religion is the star of david with the swastika inside no yeah, I'll show you a picture. Why? I mean, oh, fuck. Apparently, the swastika was an ancient symbol of peace. I and it's like one of the oldest symbols and blah, blah. But it doesn't mean... it. Shit evolves. But this okay. religion didn't adopt this symbol until the 70s. So they totes knew like mm-hmm. what it meant at that time. This symbol, the swastika, is associated with other much older religions. And the leaders of the faith proclaim that this has nothing to do with Nazism. But I feel like they could have literally picked anything else. It does now. Unfortunately, I am so sorry, but it totally does now. It absolutely does. You just can't. No. So sorry. Um so currently the Raelian North American headquarters is in Las Vegas. Which they feel like is a good fit. And honestly, I do too. Everybody's skin in Vegas is great because it's just the climate. Anyway, go ahead. Um Oh, actually, I'm going to save that little piece. Okay. Um, so in hearing all this, it may have sounded a little bit like Heaven's Gate, which I know is one of your favorite cults to talk about, uh, which was also a UFO religious cult thing. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons that this religion has kind of become framed as a cult, even though we don't have like the, the bank statements to back it up. There's been no major criminal charges um and really a lot is still pretty unknown Mm -hmm. so i went back and looked at the difference between a religion and cult and one youtuber pointed out that the or that the difference seems to be quote how much money you ask for versus how well established you've become did they request like tax exempt status yeah did they get it i think so okay that's a big thing like if people feel that if you are seeking like church level exemptions then and you're you know requiring tithing and and Mm -hmm. and you know money from that's when people get upset well and they're trying to build an embassy 
an international embassy for the Elohim. So mm. that costs a lot of money. Yes, it does. Yep. Um, one interesting thing to point out is that on their website, which is totes fascinating, they have a happiness academy that you have to attend um, prior to joining their cult. Or, I'm sorry, religion. The Happiness Academy is advertised to help you live this, quote, beautiful adventure of blossoming within yourself mm-hmm. in an environment of simplicity, humor, sweet madness, and benevolence, and mm-hmm. fraternity. Mm-hmm. Um, at these Happiness Academies, you will learn what science has discovered about people who are happy and the human consciousness. You will also learn how to cultivate inner peace and health through simple meditation and how to cultivate happiness forever. Five ever? Five ever. So give me that. Dang. That'd be great. Sign me up. Yeah. Once you join the church, they have several levels of membership. Uh, Ground level is a trainee. Level one is an assistant organizer. Level two is an organizer. Level three is an assistant priest. Level four is a priest. Level five is a bishop. And level six is a planetary guide. Oh, guide me. Planetarily. That gives me Nexium vibes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's definitely got some MLM kind of vibe to it. Um, Also interesting, this cult slash religion is also mostly men. Only about one third of Raelians are women. Interesting. Yeah. So... Also on their website, they have a calendar of events that are coming up around the world. Okay. And I thought I would share a few of those with you. Please do. I'm going to start with... uh, Clitoris Awareness Month. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Uh, Because I need to be more aware. Yeah. We all do, I think. It's the whole month of May. Of May. May is Clitoris Awareness Month. I'm putting that in my calendar. We should celebrate... In some small way on our page. Or at least remind people. What we should not be celebrating is Swastika Rehabilitation Day, which is in June. Okay, I'm going to put my phone down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have Go Topless Day in August. Um, There are online planetary meditations like throughout the year. There's a celebration of the creation of the first humans on Earth, which is in April. And then an International Happiness Day, which I just kind of love, but forgot to write down the month. So the first humans on Earth, how, I guess, where does that information come from? Uh, The Elohim told this to our guy in one of their first two meetings. They're like, listen, we created humans in April. Oh, yeah. It was (laughs) April 3rd. About the time all the bunnies were coming out. Like, all things were coming to life. We created humans. You're welcome. Wow. You're also idiots because we've sent you 40 prophets and you still haven't figured this shit out. <laughs> Yikes. You know, and the reason I was saying Muhammad is that, like, that Muhammad is supposed to be the ceiling of the prophets. He's mm-hmm. supposed to be the last one. And mm-hmm. so, I just think it's ballsy for people to... Apparently, the Elohim thought we needed more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not a, Joseph also thought that, too. Yeah, that's right. Joe. You know Joe? Our, our good friend Joe Smith? Mm-hmm. Yep. Joe Schmo. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, this whole thing is kind of a mixed bag. It seems that most of their funding comes from tithes, donations, and this Happiness Academy. Unfortunately, I couldn't figure out how much the Happiness Academy is or how any of their funding works. 
Ultimately, Rael himself seems to have some unusual beliefs and questionable morals, but I guess seems harmless. It's just kind of a fun cult to learn about. Yeah. So it's nice to have a cult with no major sex scandals. Yeah. I mean, stay tuned. So refreshing. Yeah. So. Fascinating. That is the cult of Raelism. Wow. I love it. I also loved that we're switching and to hear about it, like, to be on the receiving end of the knowledge. Of the cults? It's fun. It is fun, isn't it? It's very fun. Honestly, I had never heard of them. It was one that I had never heard of either, but knowing like that we were going into Rocky Horror, mm-hmm. um, I rewatched Rocky Horror as a good podcast host would. Of course. Um, and I was like, oh, aliens. That sounds fun. Yeah. This feels kind of culty. Let's talk about cults and aliens. I love it. We have so many things to cover. So many aliens. Yeah. We might have to do intersections. Who knows? Oh, that would be fun. <gasps> a little switcheroo. Switcheroo. This is going to be a whole episode of just blowing our normal model. I love it. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about Rocky Horror Picture Show. Let's do it. And we're back. And we are back. Okay, so I'm going to do a disclaimer. I'm going to talk a lot. I know it's a podcast. (laughs) I'm going to talk about myself a lot. I feel like that's what we're here for, though. Just buckle up. Okay, so I am so excited. We are here to talk about Rocky Horror Picture Show. The one, the only. I really just cut you off, but I was thinking that I have been to so many Rocky Horror movies yeah um and i still don't know a single callback so this episode i'm hoping that you'll teach me some because i was feeling like that would be an appropriate place for a callback but i didn't have a single one to offer you (laughs) that's okay i've built a couple of them into my notes good um and we'll just continue to to talk about it and i know i've mentioned on on previous episodes that i was involved in a rocky horror picture show shadow cast for a number of years so this is like so embedded into my heart um do you explain what a shadow cast is in your notes i do okay yep we go over it's a whole big section good just making sure buckle up I'm just along for the ride for this one. I'm so happy. Yeah. So we'll get into the shadow cast portion, but at the beginning of the film, we see a pair of lips that appear. And um, the the person in the shadow cast who performs this role is called Trixie. So Trixie kind of sets the scene. Um, um, anyway, so... Let me take you, if I may. That's Isn't that the- how it starts? I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. I was close, yeah. Did I say that right? Yeah, it's my Instagram thing. Anyway, um, but 20th Century Fox proudly presents a really shitty piano player. (laughs) The Rocky Horror Picture Show is a 1975 musical comedy horror. This movie is based on the 1973 musical stage production, The Rocky Horror Show. Uh, with musics, lyrics, and concept by the one and only Richard O'Brien, who also stars in the movie. The professor? No, he's Riff Raff. Oh, okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love Riff Raff. 
The movie is directed by Jim Sherman and stars Richard O'Brien as Riff Raff, Patricia Quinn as Magenta, Nell Campbell as Columbia, Barry Boswick as Brad, Susan Sarandon as Janet, and the legendary Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter. Can we the all stand? The greatest role. Just like so iconic. I can't. So this film is a parody and a tribute to science fiction and all of the B-rated horror films that were coming up through the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. The story revolves around the young and newly engaged couple, Brad and Janet, who leave Denton to visit Dr. Everett Scott, who was their high school, like, science teacher, where they met, like, they met in his class. They're like, we have to go talk to him because we just got engaged. Also, they get engaged in a cemetery. In a cemetery, but after somebody else's wedding, which I feel like is in bad taste. But it's yeah, not for business. sure. Not my business. The home of happiness. Um, so while they're traveling on their night out, and it was a night out that they would remember for a very long time. They stumble on to a castle nearby to attempt to use the phone because their tire has blown in their car. And they find themselves arriving on a night of a very special convention. One of the Mastas fails. They soon meet the head of the household, who is Dr. Frankenfurter, who, spoiler alert, is an alien and self-identifies as a transvestite who has science experimented to gather a man with blonde hair and a tan. I truly named feel, Rocky. <laughs> I truly feel that his name may have been Claude Velahorn. Velahorn? Uh-huh. Uh, AKA Rael. It could in have a been. previous line. They could have like, been the same. Honestly, I really feel like they could have been the they same. They have a guy. lot in common at this they moment. They could have been. Um so he creates creates this guy named Rocky for the sole purpose to be his sexual partner and companion. Brad and Janet are then seduced by Dr. Frankenfurter, and the fever dream continues as they become part of this house of horrors, if only for a short period. Dr. Frankenfurter has a crew of servants, which is Riff Raff, Magenta, and Columbia. And, like, nobody really knows what Columbia does, but they say she's, like, a groupie. <laughs> um, but they're all there to support Dr. Frankenfurter. So, the costume designer, Sue Blaine, Sue's to blame, um, is said to have done zero research on the play and started from scratch for the movie. So, she used punk rock fashion of the 1970s as inspiration, and this gives the movie a feeling of being in so many different time periods. Checks out. Checks out, right? Um, the, f- the movie has a few bangers, such as The Time Warp and Sweet Transvestite. Um, these are probably the most famous songs, which is funny because they're, they're like back to back in the movie. Yeah. So if you go to see the movie or, or if you're watching the movie and you're familiar, the part that you're familiar with is over in like six minutes and then you have to sit through this like long ass <laughs> movie. Uh-huh. Um, and I will say that the pacing in the movie is very strange. Yeah. Um, so the music 
kind of comes in and out and everything. So if you're a musical person, it's perfect for you. You're most likely familiar with the style style and the general concept of the movie. But it's very strange if you're trying to introduce this concept to somebody who is unfamiliar completely with the film. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my very best. The budget for the film was $1.4 million. Really? Yes. Did they spend it all? They spent it all <laughs> on Tim Curry and Susan Sarandon. Of course. Um, and they the only... most elaborate and least elaborate outfits. True. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, well, Rocky... Columbia. Columbia had the most uh, bedazzledness. That's true. And Rocky had the least elaborate. He was like yeah, just in shorts. Yeah, he was naked, very basically yeah um so but on opening weekend the film only made twenty one thousand dollars yikes yeah also not surprising right and it's a good start to let it's a good start to the cult movie checklist yeah was it successful right away no probably gonna be a cult movie maybe Mm mm-hmm It did not do well initially because of its content, um, but it soon found its way to midnight showings where audience members become interactive with the film. So people start coming to this movie. They relate to it automatically, which we'll get to some of the kind of themes within it. And then they start seeing it repeatedly. And like, once you start seeing things repeatedly, what do you start doing? Like with a song that's on the radio, you start repeating it. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened with this movie. Um, and the, the repetitiveness really started at the Waverly theater in New York city in 1976. People were coming back to see this movie over and over again. And as they did, they began dressing, they began dressing up as the characters. Similarly to New York and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the King's Court Theater, those guys pioneered performing productions alongside the film and coined the shadow cast concept. Performers were miming the actors on screen while lip singing the words that and the characters' lines. Right. So the idea of the shadow cast is is hard to understand if you've never seen it, but basically at the bottom of the theater, there's a bunch of people in costume. Oh. <laughs> is it, it good? was empty. Okay. So behind um they they come down to the beginning of the, you know, they're either lifted up on a stage or they're at the bottom of the theater. The film is being projected onto the screen like you were seeing a normal movie and the characters in the shadow cast are performing. Um, basically a mirrored version. Like, their back is to the screen. They just know this movie so well. They know word for word, action for action. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And they're performing it along with the characters in the movie. Which is really fun, um, but super overwhelming, like, the first time you go. And you really don't know what to expect, and, like, people are shouting things, and we'll get into all of that, too, I'm sure. We'll definitely get into all of it. Um, so performers, this is like a big thing for shadow casts, like performers attempt to get their costumes as screen accurate as possible. And it's kind of like a pride thing within the community. Like if your Frank, you know, robe 
isn't on point like if you have the one from amazon people are going to talk shit like you have to have like your your costumes on point um well i just remember when you first got into the shadow casting thing i had a pair of shoes that looked a lot like uh columbia's oh i wore your shoes for like a year oh yeah because they were a good fit yeah Um, oh yeah but like just I think part of the fun is like seeking out those really special items or even like making them yourself. It's a really high cost thing. Yeah. It's um, an expensive hobby. It's an expensive hobby. The the good thing is is that like once you've fully invested, it's not gonna change. Right. So once you have your full costume for every scene for your character you're good to go. But that could take months and months, depending on your financial and your time situation. Well, and then your shadow cast could change. So you might end up being a different character. Yes, exactly. And we'll get into that kind of in just a second. But if you have never seen Rocky Horror Picture Show before, I highly recommend that you go see it in the shadow cast setting. Um, As great of a movie it is, it doesn't really have a climax and the pacing can be really weird. So the shadow cast kind of helps keep your interest the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. It's going to be, it's just like knowing my background. Like it's very weird to just like sit silently in a room and watch this movie. Yeah. Cause there's so many things. Yeah. Get yourself a chatty friend and watch it with them or chatty go, Kathy or go watch it with a shadow cast. Or the only two ways do, to really enjoy it. If people are interested, we might be able to do like an Instagram live. That would be so much fun. And, like, so stream it and fun. watch it together. Yeah, let's totally do that. Because okay. we could, like, even then interact and, like, you can post some of the callbacks that you know. And um, it'd be a super cool vibe. We will consider it. Let's do it. I don't know when. <laughs> Probably November. November? Yeah. Okay. Right? This week's going to be busy for us. It's busy. Yeah. Okay. We'll figure it out. So, um, at the performances, the audience also participate in the show. So, the audience is yelling callbacks, which Mm -hmm. you've mentioned before. These callback lines are in response to things that are happening in the movie. I have made a list of my favorites. Okay, good. Because sitting in the audience, like, you hear people shouting, and I, for one, never have an idea what they're saying. So, Really, it's like a big inside joke. Because... Callbacks are going to vary regionally, even from cast to cast within a state. They're going to vary. Basically, you're trying to make a big joke. Yeah. There's a lot of things in the movie that are comical. And the spacing of the dialogue leaves a lot of room in between words a lot of times. So a lot of times you're trying to get in your joke before they even say their line. Because sometimes the line is in response to the joke that you are calling out. Got it. Got it. Got it. So after Frankenfurter finishes singing, I'm going home. This is at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. um, He like the camera pans to show the audience and it's completely empty. My favorite callback for that when they're showing the empty audience is saying, hey, look, it's a Nickelback concert. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor Nickelback. I know. R.E.P. Poor Frankenfurter. Um, when Brad and Janet arrive to the castle, Brad flaps his his jacket to get the rain off his collar. 
Um, and it kind of flutters, like his collar flutters. The callback line here is before he does this action, the audience will call a cal- fuck. The audience will call out, show us how a butterfly masturbates. And then he'll <laughs> flap his collar. You're right. These make it so much better. Yeah, exactly. Um, when Dr. Frankenfurter creates Rocky, he says he's so dominant. And then we see a member of the cast look through a pair of opera glasses at Rocky. So the callback line there is, if he's so dominant, why does she need opera glasses? Some of them are very literal. Yeah. Some of them, like I said, are regional. So in North Carolina, where we are in central North Carolina, one of our callbacks in the scene after uh, or during um, Make You a Man, mm-hmm. Frankenfurter jumps into Rocky's arms. And the callback line there is, what's the quickest way to Rocky Mount? <laughs> That's good. Which, of course, only makes sense for our region because Rocky Mount is a town that's on the far side of Raleigh. In North Carolina. Yeah. There is a scene which is very famous and it's called Poke Poke Smoke. The callback line is Poke Poke Smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after Brad and Jana are seduced separately by Frank, Janet finds out that Brad has been with Frank and she also gets with Rocky because she's feeling sexually free because of all the things that are happening in the castle. But also she kind of wants to get back at Brad. Um... But after Frank and Brad hook up, Riff comes by and tells Frank that there's an intruder in the castle. So Frank accuses Brad of knowing the intruder, which is Dr. Everett Scott, who was the high school teacher that they were going to see originally. Right. So Dr. Scott ends up at the castle. So while Frank is basically interrogating Brad, he has a whip in his hand and he's poking him. Mm-hmm. So... The callback line is like, let's play poke, poke, smoke. You win when you see a man nipple. So Frank does these various pokes, pokes, then he smokes, and then he pokes him again a couple times. And then once the man nipple is revealed, the audience is like, woo. So that's like a poke, poke, smoke callback. There's also a callback line I love in this movie where Dr. Scott has entered the castle and... um. Dr. Frankenfurter is trying to figure out where he's going to be. And he says, he'll probably be in, in the Zen room. So one of the callback lines before is, where do you keep your Zen? And then he says, the Zen Zen room. room. (laughs) So a lot of it is stupid and literal. Um, Another one of my favorites is where they're doing the call, like the call out lines where it's like Rocky, Brad, Janet, Janet, Dr. Scott, you know? Um, every time they say Rocky, the audience will be like, Bullwinkle, or something like that. My favorite is when they say Rocky, and then the audience says, no, this is Patrick. (laughs) It's all just so stupid. Yeah. So, as far as casting goes, when somebody starts out in a shadow cast, they're usually cast as Brad or Janet, because they have one of the roles that has less complicated choreography. And then from there, they can, like, breach out and be other roles. Each shadow cast has a name that comes from, the lo- like, a line in the movie. For example, the cast that I belong to was called the Unconventional Conventionists. 
During these Shadowcast productions, there are also props that the audience interacts with. For example, they have newspapers to put over their heads in the scene that where they arrive to the castle. There's lighters, cars, toilet paper that they throw. One of the most popular parts of the Shadowcast production is the panty run. Not all casts do this, but audience members are able to run around in their underwear about halfway through the movie. This happens during the song Eddie, where Dr. Scott is singing, and then eventually Frankenfurter chases Janet around and and her underwear. Um, and so that's when it happens. But it's super, it's super fun. And that's like one of the things that it's known for is like people show up to Rocky in like corsets and their underwear and lingerie. And it's just like a very like sexually free environment. Um, so people who are willing to are encouraged to, pers- to participate in the panty run. So let's get into some additional Rocky terminology. A virgin is somebody who has never seen Rocky Horror in person with a shadow cast. They are often marked with a V and you always get consent. They say, you know, have you seen the Rocky Horror show before? You're a virgin. Would you like to be marked? Um, So the virgins are asked to participate in an interactive and embarrassing game up front before the show starts, which varies by by cast yeah do you remember what your initiation was was? just thinking back to it because i think it was the first night you were in the shadow cast right oh you did come to my first show i went to your first and last and like a handful in between oh maybe more than a handful um i don't remember like i know i stood up front i remember being super embarrassed and mortified and praying that i did not win the sex toy okay so we were sponsored by schmadam and schmeave so (laughs) we did have all that but let me tell you a couple about what our cast did um the most popular was if we had a group that was manageable like less than 10 people we would do a dildo passing initiation where you were required there was like we had a set of double-sided dildos and you would put them between your knees you would just kind of like have to pass them from one person to another in a line and then see which side could do it faster that was an example another one was i think we called bring it around town where you just do your hips in a big circle right and then hip thrust yep and um then there was also like this one where they made people make sounds like orgasm sounds i never initiated that one but that was also another one so yeah also rocky horror picture show is r-rated so nobody who's attending these events is under the age of 18 but people get super embarrassed and like you know everybody's like intimidated by the whole process to be a virgin in this scenario um, but of course, you know, there's the, the term virgin in this scenario is not based on any sexual experience or anything like that. It's just the term that they use. Right. Um, for never having seen the, seen the shadow cast. Yeah. Live in living color. In 2016, a documentary was made called Rocky Horror Saved My Life, which focuses on the Rocky Horror Picture Show cast in 20 different cities around the U.S., Interviews with cast members who discuss what Rocky Horror means to them. 
inclusion come comes up like a lot in the Rocky Horror community, um, like size inclusion, like the LGBT community is like very invested in the Rocky Horror yeah. Picture Show community. Um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show counterculture is very relatable to many people. Not to mention what the film means to the queer community. I've heard that it was one of the first places that queer people felt comfortable being any character. Mm -hmm. It's very inclusive. There are people who identify as women who play Brad. Like, everything. Like, nobody gives a shit. Just you play whatever character you are best suited for. Um, I will say, however, that some of the callbacks are very offensive. So, it depends on where you're going or who what what your cast callbacks are but even if your casts you know agree on a callback like you can't do anything about some random guy in the audience being stuck with callbacks from the 1970s which were not as inclusive right Right. but a lot of the casts um also have language that is queer focused and it has been owned by the queer community so that's also something to consider it's kind of a gray area there yeah especially not knowing who in the dark is calling out these these callbacks right right. that's a really interesting point so one thing that i think is really interesting that you sort of touched on is like the how inclusive the show is and the Mm -hmm. gender bending nature of it Mm -hmm. and i remember when you first started you were columbia because you're borrowing my shoes i think you also borrowed my rocky dvd like to practice before (laughs) um going your first time and uh but by the end you were playing frankenfurter most of the time which mm-hmm. was obviously um played by tim curry mm-hmm. so oh, yeah. what was it like for you playing a transsexual alien oh it was so fun <laughs> so much more attention um so i loved columbia because i worked really hard on my costuming for columbia well she had the most she like, has a very elaborate costume setup, yeah. and so once you've invested in that and also she has like a dancing piece she has like a whole solo during the floor show yeah which if you're watching it like doesn't make a big you know it's like whatever but as a performer that's like a that's a big deal yeah so she also ha- was in the floor show which happens at the end and I loved playing her. And I think you have to build up confidence to play Dr. Frankenfurter or to play Frank. We just call him Frank. Um, and I felt like I earned that over the years. Um, and I think I played him for the first time in year three. I, I was in the uh, cast for five years. Yeah. Wow. So it took me like a long time. You know, it probably took me like, you know, 50 shows to to get up the nerve to try it um it was it's he's a very fun character to play um and there's a lot of dynamics like working with different cast members Mm -hmm. i did enjoy working like as columbia you you like have scenes with some of like certain characters and then as frank you have scenes with certain characters so when you're frank i didn't get to hang out with riffraff as much yeah which is you know, my buddy. So, you know, it just, it just depends. But a lot of times you, you learn like you're trained on multiple roles because everybody deserves to play different roles that they want. And you kind of get stuck in cast sometimes that are like exclusively, like you have somebody who like plays Frank every week, which is not fun when you're interested in trying that. So, 
moving around, um, you know, roles, I think is really important to give everybody a chance to play. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'd forgotten that you were in it for so long and I think it's just so cool seeing like the friendships that you build doing this because everyone else is also just as weird as you are. Oh my God. Like everyone else is kind of looking for their place and looking for some, a creative hobby that's fun. That's Mm -hmm. not going to be like anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but the, it's so much of a time investment and emotional investment, um, monetary investment, of course, like with the costuming. Um, but you really do get a lot out of it. Oh my God. It's the best. It's the best thing I've ever done probably. And it's, it's such an important part of my life. And I was doing these notes and I, when I was watching the movie, I was FaceTiming with my friend Cheeseball, who was in my bridal party, who I love dearly. And we were watching it together. Cause I was like, I cannot watch this movie alone. I'm going to crawl out of my skin. It goes against like my well, nature. And they were in the shadow cast with you, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what characters would they most commonly play? Um, Riff Raff and Eddie. Oh, okay. Eddie is the s- most obscure character, I think. Eddie is played by Meatloaf. Right. And shows up for a solid... One song. Got one paid song. More, got paid more for the one song than anybody got paid for their full time of filming. Even Tim Curry? Even Tim Curry. Really? I don't know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, he was me. Cool. He could do anything for love, but he won't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he showed he up for, like, for like three two minutes. days of filming, and there, he was like, I'll expect that uh, full paycheck. Yeah. And then he gets murdered by Tim Curry. He gets murdered by Tim Curry. Yeah. But that, so, the fun, the funny thing about that is, Eddie, um, Eddie is Columbia's love interest, and Eddie is murdered by Dr. Frankenfurter. Dr. Frankenfurter is... Uh, creating all of these people and bringing all these people in to be his partners and then deciding that they're not for him. So he's kind of discarding them. So Mm -hmm. Columbia and Eddie were both of those kinds of roles and then found love within each other. Um, I didn't realize that was the dynamic. mm -hmm. Huh. I'll have to go back and watch it again. You know, Columbia has her big monologue at the at the end. Yeah. Yeah. First yeah. you spare me for Eddie and then you throw him off like an all overcoat yeah, for Rocky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. So the in the scene with Columbia and Eddie, they have this whole big dancing scene, which is so important, like to a shadow cast, like you have to get the lift right. Right. And I have been dropped before, like all kinds of stuff don't regret any of it it was super fun i was very young um you bounced back quickly i bounced back my head didn't hit the you know let the bodies hit the floor my head did not hit the floor well in thinking about Shadowcast as a whole too like it's not just costumes like you're working to collect props as a team and like Mm -hmm. build things and i remember that that was kind of a big deal too like when you would get something new yeah um it was a really cool addition and like everyone was super excited about it. We had a very unique experience in that our, the theater that we performed in was acquired by a new owner mm-hmm. and we showed up to perform. We were allowed to house our props at the theater. The switchover happened and we got there to perform one Friday or Saturday night and all of our props had been thrown away by the new owner of the theater. 
And that was like devastating for us because we had built up all yeah. of these costumes or not, and, and everybody, like if you made your costume, you kept it at home. Like I never left my personal costume at the theater, but all the big props, like the sonic oscillator and the, the throne and all of that stuff were gone. Wow. So we had to start from scratch and honestly, we never fully recovered. Yeah. TBH. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh- with Halloween coming up, one of my favorite Halloween traditions that uh, you got me hooked on for those five years that you were in the Shadow Cast was going to the Rocky Horror Halloween mm-hmm. Shadow Cast night. Yes. And that was always a lot of fun. That is the biggest. Uh, and that's actually the next part in my notes. So almost 50 years after its premiere, it is still going strong. It is the longest running theatrical release in film history. The film is most commonly seen around Halloween because it does have the creepy elements. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, But a lot of casts are year round. So Halloween's like the big, big, you know, performing time. But um, usually the Halloween shows are the biggest of the year. Yeah. So it is considered one of the greatest musicals of all time, movie musicals of all time. Um, And it's truly one of the things that has shaped me and made me who I am today. And the last lines of the film are so interesting, so I wanted to share share them. Um, and crawling on the planet's face, some insects called the human race, lost in time, lost in space, and meaning. And One more time for the virgins. <laughs> yeah, that's a hell of a way to go out for our cult Halloween episode. It makes no sense. Like, hearing it isolated, like... It just doesn't make any sense. The whole movie makes no sense. I like, know. let's be very clear. This movie is not for those of you who want to, like, find a deeper meaning in anything. That's a good point. This is not a movie that you watch to understand something deeper about humanity or queer folk or anything else. It is just... It is its own unique, thing. weird universe that has really created a cult around it in a way that none of the other cult movies we've talked about so far have. No, this is like the epitome of a cult movie yeah. and a cult following. Yeah, this is the cult following to start it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the devotion, the commitment, yeah. the watch viewership, like it's unreal. Absolutely. So there is... Away, look and search for your local Rocky Horror Picture Show shadow cast in your area. Especially for Halloween, guys. I'm serious. This is the best night to go. Absolutely. We walk among you. Um, if you feel more comfortable going into, you know, at this point, going with a lesser crowd, go to the first show in November. Those are always really light because everybody's seen it in October. But get out there, go. It is so much fun. You will feel so alive. Run around in your underwear. Fucking Nike. Also, if you um, are feeling like you're needing a new hobby, like Allie's confidence grew just tremendously over her time in Rocky Horror. And I'm sure she would recommend, like, oh, if yeah. you have any interest whatsoever, if you're looking for a place to, like, just feel like a, you're a part of something. Absolutely. Like, this is the place to find your weirdos. Absolutely. It is the epitome of the Island of Misfit Toys. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Well, I love it. Well, happy Halloween, Carrie Ann. Happy Halloween. We will be releasing our weekly episode on Thursday. It is Halloween week. We are pumped. We love Halloween. All Hallows Eve. 
Samhain. Samhain. Uh-huh. I mean, fix your altar if you can. That's right. Burn some. Burn light some. it on fire. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next month for another cult episode where I usually cover a cult and Carrie Ann covers a cult classic piece of media, but who knows what's going on for the future. I mean, this was so much fun. We might have to keep it this way for a little bit longer. We we'll just see. might. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaud at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.